Hey, 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 Greg. Yeah? When should you buy a bird? Uh, I don't, I don't know. When it's going cheap. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie. What? Uh, what's a Toucan's favorite game? I don't, I don't know. Tides of Time, because Toucan play that game. Oh, my God. Wow. I know that we're was... reviewing Wingspan today, <laughs> but you can't keep making bird puns. I have no egrets. Go to your corner. Well, that was awkward. No, not you two. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined by Jacob. Hello. And by Leslie for our review. Hello. And we're going to be reviewing Wingspan, a new game from Stonemaier, which we actually got a review copy of. So huge thank you to them and to designer Elizabeth Hargrave, who we hope to be sitting down with uh, sometime soon. But first, let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing. Uh, Leslie won't be joining us for this segment, but we'll be back for the review. So first off, we got a chance to play some Keyforge. We were talking about it on the podcast last week, and Greg went out and picked up a few decks, and we gave it a shot. Yeah, and I mean, my, my so my initial thought and the initial reason that I purchased the decks is because like this is was the big selling point for me. You go, you buy a deck, and that's your deck. You don't have to worry about buying boosters and rounding it out or net decking or any of that. You just have a deck. I'm out 30 bucks, and I got a deck for me and a deck for two friends. Yep. So now the three of us can play whenever we want. And I mean, sure, as it's evolving, some of those decks are less powerful than others because of the sort of unique random deck creation that's inherent in this. But the fact is, like, we can play with these. And because we can trade them around freely, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not stuck with one. Like, yeah, exactly. Jacob could play the deck that's technically mine or whatever. I mean, like, that's the thing. The style of the game is that you can, you're supposed to play a game, trade your decks, play another one. Right. And then bid. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean... That definitely helps. And I'm actually, I'm really curious because you got the deck blessed by Sarah and the lucky one. (laughs) I did, yeah. When I was making the purchase, the person who had pointed me in the right direction, she put her hand over one of the boxes and said, this one feels lucky. I said, all right, that's the one I'm keeping. The other two are gifts. And yeah, it's turned out, I mean, I'm four and O with that deck, basically. Three and a half and O because I cheated the first time. But yeah, like it's it's a, a really pretty well balanced deck. I think it fits my playstyle. It's got some rush, but there's also some control that I can use to sort of get into the late game if I need to. Yeah. And overall, I think it's just a nice balanced deck. You, on the other hand, yeah. are really not a fan of your deck either mechanically, like mm-hmm. just sort of the playstyle that it ended up being about, nor sort of power level wise. Yeah, the, my the deck, greatest. My deck, I think. First of all, it's my deck combined with my ability to draw because the RNG hates me. <laughs> and like every single thing that like I've just been drawing shit that I can't use in any efficient manner. Mm-hmm. Like everything that I'm drawing is just like, yeah, I can take one chain, which is like actually a pretty big deal. It's one sixth of being like down even one more right. card draw. Like, you know, take one chain to maybe get back a monster if yeah. I wanted to. Or, like, take three chain and destroy everything out on the field, which is good for board clear, but at the same time, that's three chain. I think, yeah. if I had to identify one thing, like, one reason that my deck, and to a lesser extent, Will's decks are doing pretty well, and yours isn't so much, Mm -hmm. is that our decks ended up with cards that are just good no matter what circumstance you put them in. 
your deck ended up with a lot of cards that are really, really powerful, but almost in a different context, like in a Magic the Gathering context, yeah. you would have to build around. Yeah. Like those are cards that you want to make sure that you can get consistently when you need them, but can avoid when you don't. And because of the way the decks work in Keyforge, mm -hmm. that's just not an option. So you ended up with sort of this hodgepodge of stuff that's not really usable. You yeah, I mean? exactly. It's like I don't have enough creatures out there to survive, and some of them, most of them are like you know really weak. But then there's like a few really strong ones, and at the same time, it's like when I'm able to get them out, they're always usually destroyed in the next round, mm -hmm. and then I can't use the things that chain with them. And like I have some really cool mechanics, like you know one of my artifacts, I have two copies of it that is just like, all right, the first monster that you put into play is going to be ready, so you can use it immediately. And it's like, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, really strong. But at the same time, that means that I need friggin' monsters to put out in play. Like, I don't get creatures very often. I have, like, things that interact with however many Mars creatures I have. I have four friggin' Mars creatures. Yeah. I have noticed, even in my deck, the creature balance is relatively low. And it's, it's sort of just what can you even draw consistently. So You had another comment, though, that I think was a really good one that gets to sort of the heart of the design philosophy. Yeah. In Magic, I am always, like, a blue, blue-black player kind of thing. and so I love instance. I love being able to use something like, you know, just counter it, do something along the lines of having an effect happen when triggered. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like that in Keyforge. And I think that it's just, it's a little bit frustrating, especially for a deck like mine. Like if, if some of those things were triggered effects, that would be really good, but they're not. And I have to play them for my hand. And by the time I can play them for my hand, things have already changed. Right. If I'm the designer of this card game, I can definitely see why you would avoid those. Because, yeah. I mean, you look at Magic the Gathering right now, and again, we keep coming back to that, but it's mm -hmm. really uh, sort of the, the end-all, be-all of And also the same games. designer. Right, Richard Garfield. You know, you look at that, and you see that competitive has almost gotten bloated with, like, okay, I have a hand with one creature and six answers. Yeah. And, you know... I'm just going to wait for you to do something, but you're not going to do anything because you're waiting for me to do something. And I absolutely see trying to avoid that because mm. that's boring. But also one of the suggestions that you had thought was maybe sort of like a Yu-Gi-Oh trap card yeah. style. I yeah, think yeah. that would be really cool. Something that you could put into play that's not, you know, you don't have to use it on your opponent's turn, but some sort of triggered effect. Or I think this game actually pulls a lot from Hearthstone. Yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. a lot of similarity there and traps in Hearthstone. Yeah. Like if a certain condition is met, this card flips over and exactly exactly like you still have to play it and you, it has to be out there so people can see that you got sh shit to do but at the same time it'll trigger at some point and you'll be able to set stuff up and like set up even protections for your creatures right. something like that that's not just like right out there that everyone's like oh okay i see that then boom 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 i'm gonna uh, go around it with this and i mean my deck is pretty much a response deck it's like it's supposed to be one that like you know responds to other things but the thing is that those things are very specific and yeah. because of that it's just like by the time it gets back to my turn so like that something's already changed or like you know i have one card that's like that you have to have at least three monsters out on the other player's thing in order to be able to use it mm -hmm. and that doesn't really happen that often yeah yeah it's it's hard to keep your creatures alive but i'd be interested to see if sort of they move into some of that like yeah. trap card triggered style space in future expansions. The new Age of Ascension, I want to say it's called, like the second set, mm -hmm. uh, is due out in like April. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. For now, I tentatively am enjoying it. I tentatively am not. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's fair. Currently, your deck has beaten everyone. Yeah. And Will is one and three, and I'm 0 and 2. Yeah. And all of those times, I felt like I was drowning, like in the game. Like, yeah, there was nothing I could do about what anyone, like my turns, most of the game against Will, my turns were just, I have this one thing that's sort of maybe useful and I can play it. And then I have one other card from that house that is not really useful at the moment. It could be very powerful later on, but I have a choice of either discarding that and drawing two cards or keeping it and only drawing one card and maybe getting something that might be possibly useful. Right. But it's one out of my card. I was so stuck. Yeah. It was horrible. And it's and like my starting hands have always been like two, two and two, and you can't use the different houses at the same time. So like that would be just to play everything. In my hand was three turns in general. Mm-hmm. And like, I barely ever got anything above like three cards of a single house in my, in my hand. And it really frustrated me. I think that there was another game that did a, the kind of thing where it's like it depends. You can only play a certain type of creature like that turn or whatever. Um, but they did it with only two. And I think that that may have made a difference if there were two houses instead of three. Like that could have probably helped a lot. Having that limiter is I can see why they do it. And especially in the way that like the format works. But I'm not a fan. Yeah. Well, and it can it can really punish you if you don't end up with like the ability to rotate into a hand of, you know, because pretty much every single one of my games that I've played, I've been able to work myself into a position where I can have a bomb turn and drop five or six cards from a single yeah. house. And you, I don't think, have been able to pull that off. I've never had five or six cards of a single house in my hand. So for me, it's just been pure frustration almost like whenever I've played that game and it's always just been like, yeah, there's there's no point. I think I got one key forged the last time and the time before that when I was playing against you I may have gotten two but I'm not even sure if I did I think you did I think I did but after like you completely destroyed my uh, and I had to like rebuild my entire thing and then it was like right the turn that you won was when I got my second key or something something like that so not my favorite yeah well hopefully you know with a new deck if you decide to get one it'll kind of turn around for you either way I'm excited to keep playing and see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Another game that we've had a chance to play is Get Me a Fresh Brain, which is, uh, we actually received a demo copy of this Mm -hmm. from Baksha Games. This was a Kickstarter game from a couple years ago, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. We picked up a demo copy a few weeks back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's interesting. You're basically an evil scientist who's working with their two assistants to... You're Dr. Frankenstein. You have two insistence. You're building a Frankenstein's monster and you want to wreak havoc on the town. Yeah. There's basically two phases. There's the phase where you're moving around the town trying to assemble the parts Mm -hmm. uh, and then you create your monster and then your monster is trying to destroy the town and that's actually the victory condition. So how much money you have doesn't matter. It's all about who can get their monster out earliest and destroy the town or if it gets to the point where no single monster can destroy a majority of the town then it's just the last monster standing after they fight each other. I don't want to say too much about it because we're going to have a review coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. Yep. But yeah, we've, we've had a chance to play that, so we'll play it a couple more, and uh, yeah, we'll have a review for you all probably two weeks. Maybe I don't, two, I don't maybe. Wanna, we'll, we'll see exactly. I don't want to paint us into a corner, but we'll, we'll have yeah. one soon for you. Yeah. Yeah, and then I've had a chance to play uh, just this past weekend Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. which is always fun. It was interesting, actually. We got a haunt that I had already played Oh, wow. I've I've played the game now twice, and both haunts have been (laughs) the same. So, you know, in a book of of like 50 plus haunts, 
you know, but whatever, random, random numbers. But that was a game that I played with Sam and Carissa, two mm-hmm. names that you'll probably recognize from our Greater Weirm patron list. Yeah. Uh, they're local, and like I, I had a chance to get out there and play that with them, and that was super fun. There were six of us nice, around nice. the table, so it's a good number. You know, it's always nice to have Betrayal with, with a larger player count. Yeah, with a I full feel group, like, yeah. I mean, we did run into the problem where the trader sort of got shit on, just because when you do get up into those lower player counts, the trader only having one turn out of six. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just kind of, it sucks. But, yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a good game. I look forward to eventually playing a haunt that is not Black Razor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, it was it was good times. Drinks were had. Music was played. It's good good stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah, hopefully I'll get to play Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. I've played, you know, the original and then... Legacy, yeah. And Legacy, so, like, this is the one that's, like... Eluded you. Eluded, yeah, I've heard at the moment. But we'll, we'll make sure to maybe get them over and play some. some oh, point. hell yeah. So, yeah, well, that's a quick look at what we've been playing. Right. Wingspan is a game for one to five players. It's a new game out by Stonemeyer. It's a game by Elizabeth Hargrave, a local DC game designer. Uh, yeah, we're so excited. And it is a very strongly themed Euro game where you are playing an ornithologist building the best aviary. So should we talk a little bit about the mechanics? Yeah, yeah let's do it. So in Wingspan, you've basically got four actions. Every turn, you're going to be selecting one of those actions, and then there are a given number of turns that make up a round. The number of turns that make up a round changes as you go through the game. But the four actions are play a bird, gain food from the bird feeder, lay eggs, and draw bird cards. So, Jacob, how do you play a bird? Well, you play a bird by, well, feeding it and uh, putting it into the habitat or row that it corresponds to, pretty much. So each bird has a habitat, and that is shown in the top left-hand corner. The type of food that it likes, also shown right below the habitat. And then you get to play it there. Once you pay the food, and depending on how many birds you have there, starting from left to right, for your second and third bird, you have to pay an egg. And your fourth and fifth, you have to pay two eggs each. The bird cards themselves also have a few other pieces of information. You've got the point value of the bird, you've got the type of nest, you have how many eggs can be laid on that bird, and then the last thing is the ability, pretty much. And these can be either abilities that are when played, so when the, uh, the bird is played out into your aviary, you get a certain benefit, or they can be when a certain trigger happens on someone else's turn, someone else either, you know, gets some kind of uh, food, whether it's like a rodent or something, you you have something that happens, or they can be when activated. And that is when you activate that action, you go through and any bird that has that kind of ability, they get to use that action. Awesome. So your next action is to gain food from the bird feeder. There's a fancy little bird feeder dice tower. Which That's is very nice. Yeah. So I'm going to talk later, but the theme is so good. Um, yeah. So there's the little bird feeder, and there's dice in the bird feeder, and that will show you what food is available at that point. Mm -hmm. And you can gain those different food types, berries, wheat, rodents, invertebrates. Mm -hmm. You can just say worms. It's okay. (laughs) You don't have to prove anything to me. (laughs) No, I forgot what the other food is. Uh, Fish. Fish, Fish. yes, because birds eat fish. That makes sense. So those are the different food types that there are there, and you can choose what is visible. And then anytime if you are attempting to gain food and there is only one type of food available, 
whether it's all five dice or one die that has one food available, you can re-roll all of the dice mm-hmm. and then choose. As you play more birds into these habitats, the actions become more powerful. So yep. once you play two birds into the forest, you can now take two food from the bird feeder. Yep. And once you play four, you can take three food, so on and so forth. And the ones in between can pay something extra in order to be able to take more of that action pretty much. Yep. Uh, And yeah, so each of the actions, gaining food, laying eggs, and drawing bird cards, does correspond to one particular habitat. That's forest, grassland, and wetlands, respectively. Mm -hmm. We would show you this, but it's a podcast. Yeah, just use your mind's eye. Yep. Or go check out our video that might come out later. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the gain food is also the forest habitat as Greg was mentioning, and then the lay eggs is the grassland habitat. Yeah, eggs are important in order to play birds into the later columns of the habitats, uh, and eggs are also worth points themselves. So laying eggs is definitely something that you're going to want to be doing throughout the game. You can do that by activating the grasslands habitat. So you're going to be able to play eggs onto your birds up to their maximum number, and then whenever you use them to play new birds, you just remove them It doesn't usually matter which bird they're coming from. Yeah. And then the last action is in the wetlands. And this is the drawing of bird cards. So you're going out and seeing what birds you can find. And here you get to draw cards from either the three revealed cards, which are handily put on the plastic deck holder thing. Again, very fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Has or, a bird on it. Yeah, exactly. It it does. (laughs) Theme. Um, Yes. So you can either take one of those or you can take one of the face down ones from the deck. You take those into your hand and then can use them on future turns. Yeah, those are the four different types of actions that you can play. As Jacob mentioned, as you play more birds from your hand, each of those actions is going to get stronger. So throughout the course of the game, you're being able to do more and more and more with your actions, which is important because at the end of each round, you're going to lose access to one of your action cubes permanently. (laughs) That sounds so, like, (laughs) devastating. Permanently. Right. You can never have that action again. Till the next game, (laughs) of course. (laughs) No, you can only ever play, like, two games of this, because then you're out of actions forever. This is a legacy game. Yes, surprise. (laughs) Um, Wingspan legacy. The way that you're losing these action cubes is actually to gain points. So every round, there is an end-of-round scoring condition, which is a tile that's randomly selected at the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. that says eggs on birds in wetlands yeah and then at the end of the round there's two different ways to score you can either do basically a first past the post you know Mm -hmm. whoever has the most gets the most points whoever has the second most gets the second most points or there's a variant where you can gain points for each of those things that you have so Mm -hmm. one of them invites a little bit more direct competition Mm -hmm. one of them is a little bit more point salad but either way you have these end of round goals And you'll have to place one of your cubes there to mark your position, and that stays there until the end of the game. So the next round, you have one fewer actions. And then there's these fantastic end-of-game bonus cards that I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, I love having end-of-game bonus cards in any game because they, you know, particularly if I haven't played the game before, it gives me a, a starting place for strategy. But these are really cool. You can get bonus points for a particular kind of bird if you have Like earlier, I had a card that was rodentologist, so it was birds that only ate rodents. Another kind of card is having certain things. So I twice, both games I played yesterday, I got the oologist card where Mm. you had to have seven or eight birds 
with one egg on them at the end of the oh, game. Okay. And then if you had nine, you got even more points. So the first time I got to nine, the second time I didn't. So I had all my eggs really spread out. <laughs> <laughs> and another really cool thing about these cards is if they are identifying particular kinds of birds within the deck, mm-hmm. which is considerable, as we mentioned earlier, the bottom of the card will tell you the percentage of cards within the deck that meet that criteria. So you can kind of help make your decision if you're going to keep that card. You're given two bonus cards at the beginning of the game and you have to choose one. And then usually if you get bonus cards in the middle of the game, it's the same deal. You draw two and choose one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That just contributes to the feel of this game being like really, it almost takes into consideration some things that, that other games don't. Yeah. You are drawing this new card and it's like, okay, well, like this seems very powerful. Is it because there are like, you know, not a lot of these? Yeah, it's only like, you know, 8% of the deck and like right. the deck is like 300 plus birds. Right. So it's like. It's very thoughtful. Yeah. Very well planned. Right. And one of the things that we've done and I think we've heard other people do is compare this to Terraforming Mars. Mm-hmm. I would love to have a feature like that where it's, you know, if I have a card that requires oh, X number of uh, yes. science tags to play, <laughs> yeah. tell me what percent of the deck has science tags. You or know Jovian I mean? tags. Or Jovian tags. Yeah. I yeah. think this is a really nice, basically just user accessibility feature that mm-hmm. tells you a little bit like, okay, this is maybe going to be a harder goal that you're setting up for yourself, but it's going to pay off if you can do it. So We've clearly left mechanics and are now reviewing the game. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, we're not reviewing the game, but that's okay. There's some there's some end-of-game scoring stuff. So, you know, you've got the bonus cards, the end-of-round goals, points on birds. Each egg is worth points. And then there's also a couple of other ways to earn points. Some of your birds can basically store food on them, mm-hmm. and others of your birds will flock together. But you put all that and together. And also predators. And also predators. Eat yeah. other birds. Um, I really like the predator birds. They're yeah. so well themed. It's so yeah. cool. You put all that together. That's your final score. Whoever uh, has the most points wins. All right, back to talking about theme. Leslie, <laughs> what do you got for us? You know, I like Euro games, but I love a game with a good theme. And I think that that was the biggest deal for me in this game. Because like we were saying, you know, when I realized I played a bird and I read the win activated ability and it said every time this is activated, I get to pick up a card in the deck. And if it's of a certain size or smaller, then I get to keep that. And I was like, I'm eating the birds. This is great. It's so well themed. You know, mm-hmm. and, and you feel that way, I think, with every single ability throughout yeah. the game. Mm-hmm. It, everything like lends back to the theme with the eggs and the eating of the food and the rodentologist and the the crazy bonus cards all kind of feeds back into itself and just makes one beautiful thematic euro game package and you don't find that in euro Mm -hmm. games very often i mean usually you're you know managing an austrian hotel or something or building a city or you know making a farm and the theme is could be anything here the theme is first and the fact that it's a euro game is second and i think that that is absolutely stellar and it's a package that is wrapped in such beautiful artwork and components and all Mm -hmm. that which just makes it shine i mean every single bird card there is its own illustration and they're absolutely gorgeous in general just about like everything in terms of production quality about this game is stellar I have been extremely impressed. Like the the eggs, the um, the cards. The like, eggs really do like look like those little candies you get at Easter. Easter. Cadbury yep. eggs, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
They definitely do. The ones that when you're a kid, you like put them on your mouth so it looks like you've been eating chalk, you know? Anyway, maybe <laughs> not you. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I can see how one would do that <laughs> if one was so inclined. Um, but yeah, I think the theme is just really strong throughout. And it's not, you know, on the one hand, some of it is really obvious to the predators. Right. But there are other birds that say, you know, when you activate this bird lay an egg on another bird like on a different bird and i'm like okay well i don't exactly know what that bird is or why it has that ability but because of you know the other really strong theming and sort of pulling in this is why these things work combined with the fact that every individual bird has like a unique piece of trivia yeah and the fact that the whole thing just feels so meticulously researched and so dedicated to its theme that i trust that there is an actual like biological reason that that bird has that ability. Yep, yep. And so I think it's just it's a really great polished unified game. I agree, I agree. I think another thing that I just really love about this game is the fact that it has such a nice balance of starting the game with more actions and you know building you're building things up and then as you go through the game because you're losing the number of actions that you have per round but you're gaining more stuff to do in each of those actions mm-hmm. because yeah. you're playing more of the birds. You're they have the when activated abilities. So like when you do that, you go through and rather than just going like you know oh I'm gonna get one food. It's like now I have three birds in uh, the forest and I can get two food, pay a card to get a third food, and then one of my cards could be a predator that says I draw draw a card from the deck and see if the bird eats it. Or it could also be a bird that gets an invertebrate and also gives an invertebrate to all the other players or something along those lines so each time you you do an action once you have more and more birds it just like becomes more and more powerful so that balance i think is spot on yeah absolutely and i think because you have sort of this progressive action building engine building style gameplay i think the game is very good about keeping you on your toes in terms of coming up with a strategy because Mm -hmm. you know you've got your four actions but even if you go into a game saying okay eggs are worth points at the end of the game i want to go for an egg heavy strategy if you don't end up with grasslands birds or if you don't end up with birds that synergize with that strategy you're going to have to evolve you know this isn't the type of game where you can just try to brute force one strategy and have that be successful you really have to go based on what you're drawing and kind of adapt to your situation i would say this game is so well balanced in that way game wise i would say these two games don't really compare but i felt the same struggle that i felt when i was playing lowlands and i don't think jacob said he hadn't played it but like you have to sort of manage the fact that you have sheep and the fact that the dam might overflow and there's this thing happening and there's that thing happening and you kind of have to manage both of those things Mm -hmm. and i felt here there was like i have to manage that i have food but i also have to get more birds and if the birds are not eating the food that i have then that's a problem and i have to get enough eggs and there was a lot of like the order of operations was Mm -hmm. very important yeah Um, yeah for sure Oh well if i play this card first and then i get eggs then i'll get three eggs instead of two eggs and then that card that i played will get activated and it also gives me an egg plus another card underneath of it which is a whole bunch of points yeah right yeah yeah and i think that's a very important element of this order of operations i think is a great term that you bring up and that actually brings me into no game is perfect because order of operations is important and you have you know these three different actions gain food lay eggs draw bird cards but not all of these actions are created equal 
and it's not immediately clear when you're playing for the first time which ones are better and which ones are more important and why that's yeah. the case. It's so very true. For, for a new player coming into this game, there's going to be a pretty steep learning curve, which I think makes the game actually genuinely unsatisfying for people of differing skill levels. Like yeah. if you're playing a game and you've played this maybe half a dozen times and you're playing it against someone who's new to it, they're just going to struggle in a way that I think is unique to someone who's never played this before. Eventually, they'll get over it if they stick with it, but it can be very discouraging, I think. And I think someone who's relatively skilled in Euro games might not feel that challenge, but I wouldn't play this with people who are casual gamers. No. Yeah. Not a gateway game. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that bugged me a little bit is just, I love that there are 300 illustrated cards here, and they're gorgeous, and they're all unique, and that's awesome. But I think the fact that there are so many really leads to a few issues with having inconsistent like card draws and interactions mm-hmm. um i'm usually a pretty big stickler for like you know just not being able to get the cards that i would like for my thing and that's one of the knocks that i had against terraforming mars i remember um <laughs> and this game i think is almost a little bit better in, in that way because you have the cards that are out and you can you can do that kind of stuff but at the same time we, we've played many games that there have been a lot of cards that interact with other players that you know give other players either new cards new, uh, more food uh, have the when activated during uh someone else's turn abilities that kind of stuff but then there have been games that had none mm-hmm. like no triggered events no triggered anything mm-hmm. and i think it's a little bit frustrating because like when i know that that is all out there and then it's just like it's just not happening it's not happening and it's just like or you're the only one who has one of those cards and whenever you activate it you're giving a benefit to everybody else and you're not getting getting anything back back. it almost feels like a little bit frustrating and inconsistent in that way so that might be a little bit of a balance issue for the cards themselves but that i think would be my other problem with it i think that's definitely a risk with a game that has every card being unique so though clearly they have analyzed the percentage of each type of card in the game so yeah i'm interested to see what where they go with that with the expansions yeah same yeah for sure so all that said though no game is perfect all these glowing things that we've had to say about the theme it is time to give it a rating so quick reminder or quick introduction we do rate things on a three-point scale we've got skip it play it and then buy it as sort of our normal scale. And then beyond that, we have Top Shelf for what we think is the best of the best, and Burn It for games that should never have existed in the first place. All right. Who wants to go first? I can jump in right now and start (laughs) off because since I've gotten this game and brought it to table, this has been one of the few games that immediately as soon as this game was finished i have wanted to set up another round of this game and play it at least another time Mm -hmm. i love playing board games but not a lot of them just like pull me in that much like this was the kind of game that i could probably play this all day and because of that and the artwork just everything about this game the theme is is amazing like every time i look through it there's there's a little little more like small hints of just like how well crafted the game is and how well the theme fits together with the mechanics this is going beyond a buy it for me is going right to my top shelf hey that's high praise that's awesome especially for such a new game yeah yeah Yeah. i will say i had a similar experience in the no i want to play this again right now but I have to finish knitting this blanket first. <laughs> um, although I know that you would not be knitting a blanket, but that's, that's where I was um, when I first played it. I will say 
this is a buy it for me for sure. I not exactly top shelf. Mm-hmm. My 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 heart is full of Spirit Island for that one, but I will say that this is absolutely a buy it. I would buy it in a heartbeat and play it and it it fills a great niche it is very strategic i love that i love the theme and also i love that i can sit down with my husband and play it in under an hour i really that's that's a huge sell for me there's not a ton of setup to it and that means that that's a a really crunchy excellent well-themed game that we can play after dinner on a weeknight and not you know worry about having to be up forever you know i love terraforming mars i love spirit island i don't often have the kind of time i need to play those games so yeah yeah so definitely a buy it for me same for me uh, i am going to give this a buy it as well i think it's got a lot of great stuff going for it certainly the strategic elements to it i really love i have always loved games where you can just get progressively better at your things you can invest in whichever type of action you want and you're going for this is my supreme engine I think this game does that very, very well. I think it also does it very quickly. As Leslie mentioned, the pace is great in this game. You can finish even a four-player game, I think took us maybe an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I think this is a great game if you've got sort of a core group of gamers. I think it's got a lot of cross-cutting appeal. I think you're going to be able to get it to table very, very often, and it's a buy it for me. Alrighty. And with that, that's two buy it's and a top shelf for from us. Strong um, showing. Yeah, so let's let's talk about some games that are similar. I think the first one that I'm going to bring up is Race for the Galaxy. This is one of the games that I really enjoy, but it also has that kind of almost tableau building, like uh, improving your actions, collecting the different things, and and just trying to get that out and like that helping you either get more points or improve how you play the game almost. So I think all in all. Both of them are really good games. If you want something with a slightly different theme, if if you like Race for the Galaxy, definitely check out Wingspan. Next up, Scythe, another one from Stonemaier Games. There's a lot of similarities here as well, again, with the sort of progressive action building. The more you do in the game, the better you're going to be at doing those things. Scythe obviously has a lot of different elements. You've got the territory control element. There's a lot more direct player conflict in Scythe. So if you like some of the core gameplay here in Wingspan, but are looking for maybe more of that combative warfare type element, definitely check out Scythe. Up third would be, I would say, while it's a very different game, I would say Century Spice Road fills the same niche for me that Wingspan does. It's a quick setup. It's an engine builder resource management. All of the cards are unique. There's a lot of similarities, though Century Spice Road, I would say, is a bit simpler. So if you really like Wingspan, and then you want to sort of train up your non-gamer friends (laughs) to play a heavier Euro, maybe start out with Century Spice Road, teach them how to build an engine, work your way up to something like Wingspan. Um, I, I would say Century Spice Road also fills the same type of time-wise game, although Century Spice Road plays a little faster. Century Eastern Wonder plays a little bit longer mm-hmm. um, and might also be a good recommendation if you are if that's something you're looking for, a game that you can play in under an hour mm-hmm. after dinner and a crunchy Euro at the same time. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. That's our review of Wingspan. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you found this review interesting and are interested to see a little bit more of Wingspan, definitely check out our YouTube channel. We have 
two playthroughs of Wingspan currently up, as well as a board game bistro teaching you how to play that is going to be coming out hopefully later on this week. As always, thank you to our Greater Worm patrons, Casey, Carissa, Sam, Hunter, and Meg. Thank you all so much for your support. It really means the world to us. And lastly, join us next week for our interview of Anna Maria Jackson Phelps of Girls Game Shelf, Board Game Quest, and Our Turn Podcast.